0: Amen. Great job, you all, and what a great song, and uh, thank the Lord when you got saved, right? Amen. Restored, redeemed, and He began a good work in you that He's promised to perform to the day of Jesus Christ, and so I'm thankful that God does that, and thank you for all the good music, and, and just a warm reception here, and I was talking to my wife Angie this afternoon, and, and uh, of course yesterday, and well, I've talked to her every day, so that's good, right? But <clears throat> but uh, anyways, we were intending and planning for her to come, and, and at least my two younger boys, Tyler's in school and working responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera, and, and in the last uh, couple of weeks, he tore his ACL for the second time, and same one, isn't that great? And so he had surgery on Tuesday, so that kind of knocked Angie out from coming, just helping take care of him, I know you understand that, but she really wanted to be here, and and so now we're hoping that after his uh, second ACL surgery, he takes up like checkers or something like that, you know, and still wears a brace while doing that, you know, is what I'm thinking. So anyways, um, I, I don't know how to say thank you for the weekend. It's just been a real joy and blessing, Brother Prater. I'm so glad God worked it out, you know, for us to get to do that and, and uh, felt, it, uh, felt the Lord just working in hearts during the, during the uh, meeting, and the men's meeting, and then, Right into this weekend, and and I'm thankful for how God is using Fellowship Baptist Church right here in Liberal, Kansas, and in the southwest part of Kansas. People driving and coming in, and so I believe God's hands upon your church, and and uh, I know you love your pastor, and and I love your pastor and pastor's family, and Brother Tyler is really special to us as well, and and uh, just a lot of reasons why I'm praying for God's hand of blessing to continue right here, you know. You, Sure need God's help and hand on things, right? And and uh, so uh, really thankful for that. Um, and just uh, if I got started talking about all the people that have come from here to there that have a, had a touch in our life, and uh, we'd be here a while, and I'd probably get a little emotional about it, just because um, you know God's so good to give you uh, so many people in your life. You know, a church family and um, and friends that love the Lord it makes a big difference it really does and so I'm grateful for that and there's a time where uh, brother Tyler and I were making hospital visits together pretty steadily and I was talking to him about Jenny Lee and saying man you better you better you better marry her you know and so I'm glad some of my counsel came through there you know so it's a blessing Jenny Lee and her family has been a blessing to us for sure as well um and, uh, and then also um, even just the emphasis that your church has had on church planning with John Vaught, and Alfred King, and, and now with Brother Michael and his family being here and just all that going in into that you, you've been an example to a lot of us as churches because churches, well, really the only way a church can get started is if another church starts it. And so churches have got to start churches. And so the example that uh, God's allowed you to be, is uh, to be commended and uh, to be protected and prayed for, right? Uh, But I sure love uh, those men and how God has used them. And so uh, there's a lot more in my heart than just that, but that certainly is on my heart. So just wanted to share that with you. And thank you for praying for Heartland Baptist Bible College and the students there, and even just investing in them uh, financially to help them. Um, You know, what what the students pay, I mean, they, they pay their part. They do their part, but really... Every student that comes is, is already helped and scholarshiped in a sense, and, and uh, costs are kept low. And that's because churches like yours that just faithfully give. And so I don't take that lightly. I thank God. And, and um, you know, it's, it's in many ways, it's a way of supporting pastors and missionaries and Christian teachers and school teachers and, and Christian workers and music and on and on at an early stage. You know, and uh, so thank you for caring so much in that way. We'll take your Bibles tonight and remain seated here for just a moment, but turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter number 32. We're going to continue from this morning. I know many of you are working in different parts of the building and and helping children. And by the way, a lot of times you don't see the fruit (coughs) of working with kids until 20 years later. So keep it up. (laughs) Those of you that work with children... And uh, uh, maybe this morning you had some stressful moments. It's worth it. It's worth it. So just keep doing that. Uh, the lady uh, that, teach, that taught me when I was three years old is still teaching three-year-olds today back in Kentucky. And I'm telling you, that's a blessing. It's people being faithful. It's being faithful. And I'm sure I was an aggravation to her every now and then. But I appreciate that she uh, kept with it. For sure. So, um, Genesis 32 is where we're going to be. And this morning we talked about being in tune with God's will. Uh, One of my favorite books is a book called Changed into His Image. It's really just a good read for, I think, every believer. And in it, Jim Berg said that any change that ultimately will help a man must move him away from autonomy or self-sufficiency. It's got to move him away from self-sufficiency And move him towards dependence upon his creator. And he also said this, a river can never rise higher than its source. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? A river never runs higher than its source. And he said this as well, uh, a couple other quotes. If you needed somebody to make you, you need somebody to maintain you. Everybody here needs somebody to make you? (laughs) Well, you need somebody to maintain you. He also said, a man's potential for God lies not in his ability, nor in his opportunity, but in his humility before God. Not his his ability, not his opportunity even, but rather in his or her humility. God has a way of humbling us. Isn't that true? He has a way of humbling us. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Sometimes he gives you a problem you can't handle to expose your helplessness. Sometimes he gives you a command that you won't obey to to reveal your self-centeredness. He did that with Jonah, and he went through Whale University, didn't he? Some things we can only learn in the digestive tract of a large fish, right? That's what what Jonah learned. He'll arrange an outcome that you can't control to expose your sinfulness. We heard about that with uh, David and Bathsheba this weekend with Brother Durrell's message. By the way, I imagine those messages will be available, but Brother Durrell's messages, the two are very much worth everybody here hearing. So helpful. God will make you aware of your greatness to expose your finiteness. On uh, Wednesday nights, I've been preaching through the book of Job. And I, I had understood a lot about Job 1 and 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and the last part, but in between, there's a lot of verses. I'll be honest, I just kind of read over. Anybody else ever done that? But I, we're in the thick of it right now, and, and Job's really struggling. And uh, he, really, he really wants to talk with God. But when he gets to hear from God, he realizes, you know, actually, I better just be quiet. Because God asks him for... Several chapters, where were you and I? God can make you aware of his greatness to expose our finiteness. From the story of Jacob, I, I believe we could say this, that God will allow you to face the consequences for your actions to expose the insufficiency of your ways. God sometimes lets you have your own way. He lets you have your own way to show you just how insufficient your way is. And that's good for us that He does that. Another thing God can do is that He allows you to face your circumstances to show you that you're not in control, but you can trust Him. He'll allow you to face your circumstances to show you that you're not in control, but you can trust Him. Take your Bibles now and let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read from Genesis chapter number 32. I'd like to preach to you tonight this title, The Essential Change to Be in God's Will. This morning we talked about being in tune with God's will, a family that was out of tune with God's will. And so now I'd I'd like to draw your attention to Genesis chapter 32 to talk about the essential change. I mean, in many ways, there are many words that maybe could summarize the whole Bible. And and if we were to vote for some, the the word that we're going to come to by the end of the message, I think would certainly be towards the top of the list. and, And so we'll see that here in just a moment. But the essential change to be in God's will. So let's read. Genesis 32, and and notice verse number one when it says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim, which means two hosts, God's host and my host. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So Jacob is going back now. It's 20 years since he's left home. And the last thing he'd heard from his brother Esau is that, I'm going to kill you. Well, that's not a rather inviting, encouraging thing to hear from your brother. And so he's very concerned about going back. Now, for the sake of time and the fact that you're standing, let me just direct your attention to verse number 24. 24 and following. We're going to read a little bit more about Jacob. Which, by the way, the name Jacob means what? Hill grabber. Okay, good. You got it. Hill grabber. All right. Hill grabber. All right. It says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, this unnamed wrestler. He said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he, Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou, what? Bless. Bless me. All right? I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Hill Grabber. Huh? Isn't that right? He said, My name is Hillgrabber. In many ways, uh, church, could I have your attention here for just a minute? In many ways, all of us are a Jacob. All of us are like a Jacob. We're grasping for what God actually wants to give us. In so many ways, we're grasping. We are hill grabbers. By the way, if your name is Jacob, that's actually a good name, just for clarity here. All right, Jacob's a good name. But here in this context, it meant he was grasping for what God wanted to give him. For the last 20 years, he's been Jacob. Well, the last 40 years, he's been Jacob the heel grabber. All right, what is thy name? Verse 28, he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, notice this, but Israel. Evidently there must be significance to this. For a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him, And said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore, is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. So who alone has the power to bless? God. So with whom was Jacob wrestling? God. Have you ever wrestled with God? Probably so. Who won? God. You might be wrestling with God tonight. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means this I've seen God face to face. El means God. Penai means face of. Peniel is face of God. And my life is preserved. And so it's his here. He passed over Peniel, and the sun arose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. The rest of his life he's going to walk with a reminder of this night, this occasion. And it says, therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which was upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. So quite an interesting passage right here. The essential change to be in God's will. Do you want to be in God's will tonight? Do you want to be in God's will? I believe you do. You're here on a Sunday night. I believe that means you're concerned, you're interested in being in God's will. And there's one essential change that must take place. And it must not just take place one time, it must take place day by day. So let's pray and then we'll get into the message here tonight. Father, I want to thank you sincerely for the time that you've given us on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, especially this being the Lord's Day. I absolutely love the emphasis that's been given to the cross and the resurrection of our Savior. Lord, it's such a precious truth, and I'm glad this church is already celebrating the fact of the resurrection. And so, God, right here, I just want to pray that you'd speak to hearts now. Help me to uh, manage time well, and, and, uh, God, just to give attention to your word the way that we ought to, and just speak to hearts. That's really what we need, dear God. So I just pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> Several uh, years ago, my family went up to Edmond, Oklahoma, just north of Oklahoma City, and uh, we were at the Lazy E Arena where we watched. Uh, I say watched because it really was that. It was uh, an illustrated sermon. Um, a man named Lee Stewart came to town and uh, did what's called the Sermon on the Mount, okay, Sermon on the Mount, so the Mount was a horse, got it, so it was the Sermon on the Mount, all right, now some of you may have seen this, there's DVDs out on it or you maybe have watched it online or something like that, it's fascinating Uh, and I, uh, having grown up in Kentucky, my dad and mom actually met riding horses, so horses have kind of been a part of my life a long time and uh, my FFA project as a freshman was breaking a, a horse. Um, I'm much more of a redneck than what you might have thought. I've gotten over a lot of it, but not all, you know, so anyways. But I, I was all enthused when I heard about this man coming because I, I love horses and, and it had been a while since I'd been around horses and such as that, but, but he, uh, he was there and we're, we're at this arena and and I, I would imagine there's probably two to 300 people maybe up in the grandstands of this arena, and he's out in the, out in the center of the arena, and there's a, there's a round pin of, of about maybe 40 foot in diameter, something like that, just your traditional or typical round pin where a man's going to work with a horse. And, and so he said, folks, you're just going to have to take my, my uh, word on this. This horse has never been rode before, and, and so they brought in this young filly, and and he he's, has a mic, and he's going to talk to us while he's working with his horse. And, and I mean, you know, just like a typical wild horse, she's trying to get away from the ones that's got a rope you know, on her and, and bring her out there into this round pen. And so then he's in the center of the pen, and she's as far away from him as she most possibly could be, just literally up against the fence. Can you visualize it in your mind? And so he says, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to show her that her greatest sense of fulfillment and usefulness is not somewhere out there, but rather it's under my authority. I thought, mercy. That'll preach. Let's let's hear this sermon on the mount. So he had a long whip. He never did once, you know, strike the horse, but just popping the whip, you know, to the right and, and then to the left. And I understood what he's doing. He's, in my mind, he's wearing the horse down, because that's, that's what we tried to do, take a long uh, lunge line and just kind of work that horse around before you get on him. So that way, he or she will be a little bit wore out, and you've got a little bit of an edge. Okay, now that's what I thought he was, he was doing, but rather he was trying to get her attention. And it went something like this. He'd, he'd pop the whip, and he'd take, take. Hey, and she'd turn away from him, and turn away from him, and turn away from him, and, turn, and he just kept working. Hey, hey, and I kid you not, for 10 minutes at least, we watched that man go, hey, <laughs> hey, and I thought, what in the world have we come to see? You know what I mean? You start looking at your watch and thinking, good night, how long is he going to do that? And he, but he just kept at it, hey, and every now and then he'd explain a little bit what he's doing, hey. And she just kept turning away from him turning away from him. The whole deal took at least 45 minutes, somewhere right in there. Not the whole time that he's just doing that, but I mean the whole whole process. So I've got to speed it up here for the sake of time. But he just kept working. Hey! And she just kept turning away from him. Hey! Turning away from him. Turning away from him. Finally, I watched her do this. She turned and she stopped, and she turned and looked at him with one eye. You know how a horse will do? Just one eye, and then turned away from him. Here we went again. Hey, hey, I kid you not, another five minutes. I, I don't know that I'm exaggerating, but it's something like that. It sure felt like that, and he just kept working. And then I watched her do this. She stopped again. And this time, she turned her whole face to him. And then she turned away, and here we went again. Hey, stay. Stay. hey, I mean, he just kept working it. Just kept working it. And finally, I watched her do something. I personally had never seen a, a horse like that ever do in my life. She not only stopped and looked at him, but I watched her do this. She walked to him. And he held out his hand, and she came right to him, and he took a rope, just put it around her neck. She got a little bit skittish, went off again, and here we went again. Hey, hey, but this time it took a little bit less. She walked back to him, put the rope there just to kind of secure her, took that... That blanket, let her smell it, get a little bit used to it, gently slid it up on her back, took the saddle, cinched it up, I mean he's doing all this, and she's pretty much just standing there, I mean she's kind of skittish but at a certain point, he put his foot up in the stirrup, gently swung his leg over, and I watched her do this she bucked one time and then she just walked off I thought, mercy where were you when I was hanging on for dear life You know what I mean? Good night. How did you do that, you know? For The last 20 years in Jacob's life, hey, God's been working. Hey, to get his attention. To show him that your greatest sense of fulfillment is not out there somewhere doing what you want to do, but rather... It's under my authority. I'm thankful the same God who worked in Jacob's life. Hey! is the same God that works in your life. Sometimes it's a sermon hey, that gets your attention. Sometimes it's a song hey, that gets your attention. Sometimes it's a knock on the door. Sometimes it's a trial. Hey, God gets your attention. But we think, we think, my greatest sense of fulfillment is out there doing what I want to do. But really, listen, whether young or old, your greatest sense of fulfillment and usefulness is not somewhere out there doing what you want to do, but rather it's under His authority. And I'm so glad that that God is, is patient with us. And, and relentless in working in our lives, because I'm telling you, God did a lot of things to to get my attention as a young man. That that grew up in Sunday school. I was so blessed to, to be a child growing up in church. But but I I can't say as I was sitting out there as a as even a you know a five year old, and I was more maybe interested in Hot Wheels or, or in Cheerios or something, especially as a younger kid. But God just kept working in my in my life to get my attention, and and then even as a teenager, I, God was working in my life to get my attention. He just kept working. He just kept working. And he just kept working. And I'm so glad tonight, folks. I'm so glad that he didn't give up on me. And I know you're here tonight because God's not giving up on you. And he's working to get your attention. there may be, there's got to be something in your life here tonight, even that God has been working to get your attention about some way, somehow that God wants to bless you. God wants to use you. But to do that, he's got to tune you. We've seen it with the life of Jacob and Esau. Let me ask uh, Brother Joel to come up at this time and Brother Tanner, ask them to to come and just uh, let me uh, help illustrate this here just a little bit. Can everybody see if we're here on this ground level? We all right? Okay, so uh, maybe Brother Joel here and Brother Tanner here come in a little bit. That's good, all right. Okay, here's what we have. Twins. Can you see it? twins twins jacob and esau <laughs> this makes sense right this makes sense harry smooth <laughs> plain man mama's boy hey <laughs> mama's boy Daddy's man, mama, mama's boy, right? You got it? You see it? Twins. You gotta use your imagination here. Okay, now God said, I I want the blessing to go here. It wasn't that God didn't want to work in Esau's life, but God's will was here. But Isaac said, Well, I want the blessing to go here. That was this morning. And a family got out of tune with God's will. Esau. The mighty hunter, right? Now, this may be a misnomer right here. I don't know. Do you hunt at all? No, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> not all illustrations walk on four legs, okay? So you just got to use your imagination here. But uh, The mighty hunter, the last thing he'd said about his brother is, I'm going to kill him. As soon as daddy dies, I'm taking him out. I mean, that's, that's what the man said. And he's a tracker. I mean, he knows how to track animals. He, I, I mean, he is. He's just a tracker. He knows how to hunt down. So Jacob, mama's boy that's been living in tents all his life, Inside, <laughs> he knows what a hunter that his brother is. So he departs, and, um, and and really, they don't see each other. Watch this for twenty years. Their mom dies during this time. Dad still is living. He thought he was going to die because he got sick, but he lives a long time, and and so, anyways. But they, they've been estranged for these twenty years. Aren't you glad, though, that God can bring people that are estranged even back together? And the reunion that you never thought would take place actually takes place. And it actually goes very, very well. Anyways, I thought I'd mention that. It's Pretty awesome. Okay? But that's the last thing he's heard is that he's going to kill him. Okay? So he begins a big journey. All right? So I'm going to let you go ahead and have a seat there, Esau. Thank you very much. Okay? The beard really helped, though, didn't it? I mean, he may not hunt, but he's at least got hair. So, okay. Okay, come this way, uh, Jacob. All right. So God begins a work in this man's life. He wants to bless him. He wants to use him. Remember the spout where the blessings come out? He wants to bless him. He wants to use him. Maybe a little bit to the left. There you go. Okay, perfect. Maybe a little bit to the right. Yeah, right there. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Wants him right there. But it's going to take him a while to get him there. It's going to take God a while to get him there. Now, uh, you know what would be best to do? Just go ahead and cooperate with God. And you'll save yourself a lot of time and a lot of regrets. Isn't that true? But Jacob went on a journey. So let's just journey here. He went 500 miles to the east. There part of the journey was, that middle of the night, when he had a troubled past and an uncertain future and a difficult situation in the present, God showed up. Remember that from this morning? The, the ladder came down. The, you, you see it? The, the, <laughs> thank you, you're working well. The angels of God ascending and descending on it. I mean, it, it was basically this God saying, Jacob, I know who you are, I know where you are, I know what my plan is for your life, and I'm very involved in your life. And Jacob's life was changed because God intervened. But it wasn't, hang on, wait, let me rephrase that. It wasn't just that Jacob's life was changed because God intervened. Jacob's life was changed because he responded positively when God intervened. Because God's intervening in a lot of people's lives that aren't responding to God properly. So he begins this journey. Now I'm going to have to go pretty quick here. You're going to have to listen quick. I'm going to have to preach quick. Because we've got 20 years to cover. Right? He goes, and um, he's supposed to get married. And the first girl he sees, huh, Rachel, absolutely beautiful. Okay, according to the Word of God, she's beautiful. Her other sister, uh, not so much. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. All right? But, I mean, he sees her, and it's like, oh! Love at first, like there's like music that begins, and and he rolls this stone away that normally took like four men, but he rolls the stone away himself, kind of like to say, Watch this, baby. I mean, it's just, it's in the text. (laughs) All right? So, anyways, he meets Laban, which would be her dad, and he says, Now, listen, I don't want you to just work for me, you know, with no pay. So, what, what would you like? And he said, You know, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to marry your daughter, Rachel. He says, Fine. So, you work seven years, and I'll give you my daughter, Rachel. So he he's gonna it's his wedding night, supposed to be marrying Rachel, who he married, had a rather thick veil, woke up the next day, found out ah, it was not Rachel, but it was Leah. Mercy. Bummer, Bummer, he said. That's Hebrew, I think, yeah. Bummer. This is a, in fact, he, come, he marches right in, march right in with me. He marches in, opens up the tent door to Laban, and says, What in the world have you done? He said, You know, I don't know how you, I don't, I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase right here. I don't know how things are done back where you come from, but around here we honor the firstborn. Because Leah was a firstborn. It's basically this it's poetic justice. What goes around comes around, it's God, hey, getting his attention. Jacob, you've deceived your brother out of his birthright. you deceived his brother out of his blessing. Hey, Jacob, how do you like a dose of your own medicine? You know, God sometimes does that. So he worked that way. And so then there's seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, and then six more years. Now we're at 20 years. Laban has changed his wages. All these things have happened. He, I mean, by the way, the Bible is only in favor of one man, one woman, Amen. one lifetime. And you can see the chaos and the drama that came with four women in the home and, and, and 11 boys and one daughter. I mean, you're bound to have some drama there, right? Good night. Can you imagine all the sandals? <laughs> so there's a lot of drama right there. God's got to teach him a lot of lessons, getting his attention. But now the time has come, and where we are in the text, is God is bringing Jacob back. In his mind, he's concerned about one person Esau. If, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not sure about that, which it seems like you're all persuaded of it, you just read chapter 32. And what he does is he sends out some spies first to see, see where Esau is. Well, the spies come back and they say, Hey, we found Esau, and he's got 400 men with him. That's a militia, that's an army. Well, I mean, he just gets, he's terrified out of his mind. And, and, and although prior to that, I mean, there you saw, see up there, the, the angels of God that were there. And he called the place Mahanaim, indicating my host, you know, the, the, with, with uh, Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah and, and all the kids and the entourage and all the animals. My, I mean, he came across the river last time with just a staff. And now he's come back with all these people. And it's God's host watching over my host. That's awesome. But then he gets very alarmed, and and he prays something like this. God, you're the one that told me to do this. (laughs) You ever done that? God, you're the one that told me to tithe. God, you're the one that told me to get to world missions. God, you're the one. And so that's what he's praying. He's saying, God, you're the one that told me to do this. So it's still, hang on, wait just a minute. It's still Jacob being Jacob. Another thing he does, just to show you the, the heel grabber, remember faith is trusting God without scheming. But part of what he's still doing, he's still Jacob, and so he takes, uh, he takes all these animals, and when you calculate them up, there's 550 different heads of livestock, of goats and camels and et cetera, et cetera, and he sends them to Esau, his brother, and says, hey, brother, love you, right? That's Jacob still being Jacob. Another thing he does, let's come over here, another thing he does is he arranges his family in a certain order. This is found in chapter number 33. But he arranges his family in order and so what he does, he's getting ready to come back where Esau is. So he says this, okay, Zilpah, Bilhah, up front. Your kids. Up front. Come on. Come on. Everybody up, up front here. Okay? Yeah. All right, Leah, you're next. I'm telling it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Leah, you're next, your kids. Come on. All kids right here. Right here. Right here. All right. Rachel, you're back here with me, baby, because he's thinking, he's still being Jacob. He's thinking, all right, maybe they're going to get attacked. I'm going to lose Zilpah and Bilhah and Leah, but I got the pretty one. Still Jacob. They're on one side of the river. He's on the other side of the river. The river is called Jabbok. His name is Jacob. The river is called Jabbok. Jabbok, it's really interesting. Jabbok, when I looked it up, the word means emptying. Because it was like the hills and the mountains would empty of all the water. It would flow into the stream and then, you know, out into the, the sea and so forth. But that night, I believe, more than just the water from the mountains was being emptied. Because if God is going to fill him, he's got to empty him of him. If God is going to bless you and use you, he's got to empty you of you. It's dark. The river's flowing. It's kind of hiding the sounds. He knows that Jacob is somewhere in the area. You think he's going to sleep well that night? I don't think so. You've been out in the woods at night. I grew up in Kentucky coon hunting. Everything moves in the night. I mean, it's spooky. Here he is. It's the middle of the night he's there, and the family's all in their locations. And in the middle of the night, somebody jumps him. Now, kids, your mom and dad said don't wrestle in church. And you can't do that unless God calls you to preach. Then you get to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So in the middle of the night, the Bible says that they wrestled. You can go ahead and give a little resistance. Oh, that's pretty good. That's all right. That's good. That's good. Yep, you're doing good. I mean, they, they threw down. In fact, the word wrestle there means like they got dusty. So, I mean, I mean they really gra- grappled. Ooh, that was a good one. So they wrestled around and carrying on through the night. They wrestled. Now, now hang on. Time out right there. Let me gather them my thoughts. I may be getting too old for this illustration, <laughs> but it's in the middle of the night. Who do you think he thought that it was? Esau. I I, don't, I can't prove that. Longtime evangelist named J.C. House, and some of you may have heard J.C. House preach. I heard him mention that that he probably thought it was Esau. In his mind, he was thinking the worst possible scenario has just happened. The worst thing that could ever happen to me has just happened. But wait a minute, then he realizes it's not Esau. How did he realize it wasn't Esau? Maybe he felt the back of his neck or the back of his hands. That Nope, not hairy enough to be Esau. It's not Esau. I don't know. But at some point he realized it's not Esau. In fact, he must have realized something. He must have realized that actually he was wrestling with God. Because he said, as they were wrestling, let's get back at it again, he says, here, I don't know, anyways, yeah, he says, I won't let you go unless you, what? Bless Bless me. So at one point he realized, it's not Esau, it's the one who, for 20 years, has been trying to bless my life. Uh, Folks, sometimes what seems to be the worst thing in life turns out to be the best thing. If I ask you tonight, tell me the top five most difficult things that's happened in your life. You could probably list them out. And I would dare say that if I turn around and ask you, now tell me some of the best lessons you've learned in life, some of the best things that have happened in life, probably in some way Some of those things that were in the worst things actually turned out to be some of the best things. Hard, absolutely, but some of the best things. God asked him, what is your name? You think God forgot what his name was? No, it wasn't God forgetting. God wanted him to acknowledge who he'd been all of his life the Bible says that as they're wrestling, that God touched the hollow of his thigh. Now, as a, as a father of three boys, it is my, I think, God-ordained role to wrestle with those said boys. I mean, they, it's my role in fatherly love to suplex them on the couch, right? When the boys were little, I'd take them just, bam, bam they get up, I mean, on my knees, you know, and we're on the carpet, and I'd suplex them backwards, and I mean, you just really lay them out, and then i pick them up, and body slam them in fatherly love. Yeah. It's just my job. It's what we do, you know. Sometimes, though, I'd act like, oh, man, you got me. You know what I mean? When a dad does that, "Oh you got, oh, you got me, and get me down. Oh, man, you got me again. But then at any time, you just turn it on. I mean, to this day, I can still take them any time, any place. Yeah. Tyler's 19, about to be 19. Any time, any place. Just don't tell him I said that. Any time, <laughs> any place, right? Still can't whoop, daddy. Hey, look, wait a minute. This is Jacob, a mere mortal man wrestling with God. I, I tell you that any time God could have just thumped him, and he would have done an orbit around the earth. And yet he wrestled. Isn't it amazing that God would wrestle with man? But at a certain point, the Bible says that he touched his thigh. Now, why would it say that? Well, the word touch, I mean, it could be that he just touched it, or it could be the word, as I looked it up, means that he hit it. I kind of like that one. Okay? But why his thigh? Why why not his jaw? (laughs) Or why? Or <laughs> you with me, <laughs> you're not liking that. Uh, uh, why, why is thigh? Why not his arm? Why didn't you put him in an armbar? I mean why, why is thigh? Well, anybody that has wrestled, understands that if you can get low, even if the other guy is bigger than you are, your center of gravity and listen, here, here's the most important thing I want to say: Your source of strength is in your lower body. And so when God struck him in the thigh and he went down on one knee, he took away his source of strength. Hey, how concerned is God that you learn to trust him rather than your own strength? So much so that if you continue in an obstinate way with God, He may take away your source of strength so that then you would come to a place. Look where he is right here. Everybody seeing him? In the place where God can bless him, in the place where God can use him, but in a universal position of what? Submission. In one word, the key, the one essential, and I think that we could sum up even the whole Christian life, in one word, it could be, I realize the word faith, and in fact, I'm going to reference that. It's faith, yes, but you're, you're not going to submit to somebody that you don't trust. And So the word submission is very key to the Christian life, because without submission, we won't be saved. They being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, have not, have not, what? Submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So even your salvation is you submitting to God, saying, God, I can't save myself. I need you to save me. But then he goes on. I mean, it's all throughout the word of God that we are to submit ourselves one to another and that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is, is a word that's coupled with submission. And so God has got him in a place now where he can bless him. And watch this. God says, your name is no longer hill grabber, but your name now is Israel. El is a shortened form of Elohim, meaning God. Israel. Israel means power, and the idea is there, but it actually means this he fights. In other words, Jacob, you're no longer to be the hill grabber manipulating situations and, and using your own human wisdom to work your way out of this, but rather you're to let me fight your battles for you. And that's why they are be, to be known as the children of Israel, rather than the children of Jacob. Because God said, I will fight your battles for you. You stay in submission to me. Is this making sense to everybody? So you can either go through life like Jacob, or you can go through life like Israel, where God fights your battle for you. When Israel went around the walls of Jericho, those seven days, and on that seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and the walls fell, that was the children of Israel, Because God knocked those walls down. But at the battle of Ai where Joshua said, well, let's just send in about 3,000. That was Jacob because they were trusting their own power. And 36 men died in that battle because a man named Achan had grabbed for what God was trying to give him in the first place. Is this making sense? This is the essential move, the essential change for you to be in God's will. Isn't submission key for your role as a man? Every one of us are under headship. Isn't this a key role for you as a wife? Submission. Isn't it your role as a, as a child growing up in a home? Submission. Do you think God's going to bless and use you if you're out there doing what you want to do? Your greatest sense of fulfillment and your greatest sense of usefulness is not out there doing what you want to do, but rather, hey, it's under his authority. Thank you, Brother Tanner. I appreciate it very, very much. My son, Trevor, was two years old. We're at uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, uh, for a charter service, church planning, charter service. It's becoming its own indigenous church, but the Russ Bishop pastor, it's a monumental day. So we had a dinner and kind of a special deal, and and, uh, it's about a two-hour service. You do the math. Two-hour service and two-year-olds. They don't go together, not very easily. So I got my pen out and did what a lot, of, what a lot of parents would do. I just was trying to entertain Trevor for a little bit. And I took, watch this. I took my hand over his hand, that pen, and we wrote the name T R E V O R. He looked back at me, said, "Trevor, that's my name." I said, "Yep." We did it again. I took my hand over his hand and rewrote it. <clears throat> then we were going to do it again, and he said, no, Daddy, me do it. You ever have a two-year-old tell you, me do it? I said, no, bud, let Daddy help you. And he said, no, Daddy, me do it. So he took that pen and scribbled and scribbled and scribbled, looked back at me and said, Trevor. That's my name. I said, oh, yeah, bud, you can see it right there, Trevor. Trevor. Right? I said, no, let daddy help you. And again, he said, no, me do it. Me do it. Trevor. Okay, look. Either you can allow God's hand to guide your life, or you can say to God, no, God, me do it. Me do it. Young men, young ladies, let me urge you, college age, those that aren't married, just let God bring into your life who's supposed to be your mate. And don't say to God, no God, me do it. Me man, me fine woman, man. Me eighth grade, me got this figured out. That's what I did, eighth grade, man. I had a girlfriend, she was my girlfriend for a whole month. That's like a record in the eighth grade, right? I wrote her name down, and and then on Valentine's Day, I had flowers for her and everything, and she dumped me on Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Big old mess right there. Gave the flowers to another girl, but still, I was all tore up about it, you know, and so. That was me saying, no, God, me do it. Me do it. Me do it. Hmm. Mess. But when I let God's hand guide he wrote the name A N G I E. Huh? I'll never forget the day. It's right after a youth rally on a Friday night. That was brand new for me to go to youth rallies on a Friday night. Youth rally on a Friday night and God emphasized in my heart, I want you to get to know Angie. I said, "Yes sir, can do, will do, glad to and I did." <laughs> so on June the 6th, 1998, she walked down the aisle. And I said, "I do." It was no longer me do it, but it's what God did. You know, with finances, you can say, "God says I want you to trust me with the tithe. It's mine anyways. It's mine anyways." And you can say, "No, God, me do it. Me do me finances. Me me no tithe. Me no tithe. Tithe is Old Testament. Me no tithe. No tithe is New Testament. Me me no me me tithe. Me no tithe. Me me just me buy what me want." Me buy this, me buy that. Me buy more this, me buy more that. Me, me no tithe. Me buy more, me, me go broke. <laughs> yeah. You got it? That's when you say, me do it. No, hey, look, we, we need to be done with me do it. We need to be at a place where we say, God, I can't do it. Would you do it? I'm telling you, when you get in that place of dependency upon him, And you're needing guidance and you're needing strength and you're needing help and you're needing wisdom in raising kids and in having a marriage that's meaningful. And and when you you get in a place where you feel like you can't go any further and you feel like you've been wrestling with God for like 20 years, there's one move that you need to make. And it's that move of submitting to God and saying, God, have thine own will. I want your blessings, and I want you to use me. And I know I've got to trust you. Let's stand tonight. Appreciate you listening.